that each of us are striving to honor and serve the Lord Jesus Christ with our lives and to follow him. And uh, there is a battle raging, spiritually speaking, and uh, always trying to defeat the Christian, uh, destroy the lives of others. And we as Christians, uh, our battle, is the, our sword is the word of God as we have the truth of God's word. It's our defense, our protection, and uh, the very message that we give out is the gospel that Jesus Christ died on that cross and rose again to forgive us of all of our sins. And that is the key, is keeping on for the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep following him with all that he's called us to do. If you have your Bibles this morning, would you uh, turn with me to Matthew 16, verse 18. Understanding the New Testament church, we have an exciting thing. After the morning, after, at the end, when I'm done preaching, uh, got uh, Raymond will be coming forward for church membership and uh, formally joining our church this morning. So excited about that. And I wanted to talk about what is a church, what is church membership, and uh, in light of that event. It's an exciting event and, um, uh, for the life of the church. Uh, God has been good. Amen. And uh, we just think about what an incredible Savior we have. And uh, a little illustration for you. You know the problem today is folks uh, can join churches easier sometimes than they can their own social organizations or some country clubs. Church today has become some sort of institution where anybody can get anybody in and nobody gets out. Uh, what started out as a sheepfold has become a zoo. Uh, know my friend, it is to be made up of those who are born again, those who have a conviction that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Those who are not ashamed confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. And because of that, have been changed radically, dramatically, by a new birth for all eternity. The saving faith, here we have, of the local church. Now the question is, who are we as a church? What is a church? What is our mission? What's our vision? Uh, why do we do what we do in this church? And why do we support missions? And several things as you think on this, uh, on these truths this morning. If you have your Bibles, would you uh, follow along with me as I read Matthew 16, 18? We'll just look at this verse this morning, and then we'll go to prayer. And uh, understanding the New Testament church. In verse 18 of Matthew 16, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. And uh, we live in a day and age, a lot of confusion uh, about what is a New Testament church. And obviously, the Matthew is here in the New Testament age. What, it ought, what ought the church to be? Uh, what does it mean to be joined to a church and membership and uh, some, you know, just Jude commands the believer to contend for the faith. Well, what faith are they contending for? Who is it is responsible for contending for the faith? Where is this faith to be defended? The answers to these questions reveals what is a biblical church and the responsibilities of its members. In a day and age, there's a great dearth or scarcity of teaching on the importance of the local New Testament church. There's a great need. For biblical instruction, what are the obligations of those who are joined in membership to a New Testament Bible-believing church? We search the Scriptures. It's a privilege to be accounted a part of a local church and not just saved and born again, but to be a part of an institution, the local church, of which Jesus would die for. Let's pray, and then we'll look further at this subject this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace. Lord, I need your help to accurately, precisely, clearly preach the truth of your, of your word. Lord, it's a privilege to preach your word, a privilege to stand behind the pulpit and preach to your people. And our Father, I pray today 
those who are sick and those who are out, Lord, that you'd heal their bodies quickly, bring them back. Father, I ask that you would keep us and draw us closer to thee. Lord, may we have a greater love for the very institution that you started. And Lord, your desire is for churches in each and every town and community all around this world. God labors. Father, I pray today, Jude, anyone here that is not saved, that realize that Jesus Christ is the answer. Realize that they're a sinner and ask Jesus to forgive them of all their sins and be gloriously saved. Father, we need you. We thank you for the grace and mercy you've bestowed upon us. Father, I love you, and I ask you to take over and that you'd be pleased. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen. Would you look with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 11? And I want to just, we'll come back to the Matthew passage, but here in Deuteronomy chapter 11, blessings are lost if we lose our focus. If you lose the focus of who are we and what is our responsibility, what is it that God wants for me as a Christian? You see, the church, as you think about a local church, is not one person. It is all of those members working together under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ to get out the gospel, to encourage and edify one another. And I'll talk about all of this as we go, as we go forward, but blessings are lost if we lose our focus on who are we. Why do we do what we do? You see, we've got to know why we do what we do. It's an understanding that the, this book is to give us instructions that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished into all good works. Well, I've got to know these good works. I've got to know what God wants for me. I've got to, you know, as I think about and I follow the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ in my life as I come to the Word of God, which is the authority for all that we do. If you're going, if you are going into battle or you go to work, you want to know what you're supposed to do. If the, the standards at work keep changing, it's very difficult to do your job. You need to know what is our mission as a, as a company. What is it we're supposed to be doing? If you don't know what your job is and they keep yelling at you for not doing your job, it's very, it's very frustrating. Because you need to know what direction you're going for. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 13. In Deuteronomy 11, verse 13, it shall come to pass if ye shall hearken diligently unto my commandments which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Then I will give you the rain of your land in his due season, the first rain, the latter rain, that thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thy oil. And I will send grass in thy fields for thy cattle that thou mayest eat and be full. Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived and ye turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. And then the Lord's wrath be kindled against you and he shut up the heaven that there be no rain and that the land yield not her fruit unless ye perish quickly from off the good land which the Lord giveth you. He said, turn aside. Well, if you don't know the direction you're going, how you're already turned aside. You've got to know the path that God wants you. He says, if you serve, where am I to serve? How am I to serve? What am I to serve? We get sometimes this very nebulous, vague idea of service. But what does the Bible say about a service to God? Let me search the Scriptures. Because if we don't know what I'm turning aside from, the path that I'm on, 
then how can I serve if I don't know what path I'm supposed to be on, if I'm just kind of aimlessly going from here to there and all about? It's important to know the direction I'm going. In the New Testament, we actually see a stern warning to some erring churches. Would you turn with me to the last book of the Bible, Revelation? In Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. These are literal churches. Grace be unto you and peace from him which is and from which, and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth and to him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And doth made his kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Think about this. He's calling us priests and kings. And one day we'll rule and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's our position. What is Jesus' position? Look with me at verse 17 and 18 of the same passage of Scripture. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying to me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Jesus Christ will be the final judge. That's his position. He is my Savior. He's my Redeemer. But he's also the final judge of all of humanity someday in eternity when everyone will stand before him. But Christian, what can happen if we lose sight of a position that God wants us to? And I'm just giving some framework as I will get into the church. This idea of church. What it is to belong to a church. What it is to be a member. What it is to honor God and serve Him. I'm laying the foundation because I think it's very important to know why we need to know this. Revelation chapter 2. Verses 1 through 5. And the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience. And for my name's sake hast labor, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left Thy first love. Again, there's that idea here of turning aside. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. Well, what works am I supposed to do? What is it that God commands of us? What is it that God wants from us? Or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. God says the Holy Spirit of God wants to be among his people in the local churches. He says, I will remove your candlestick. Sure, you can continue to assemble, but you'll no longer have my blessings upon you. What are the works that we are to do? What is the first love? You see, there's a turning aside from a position, a direction that we ought to go. In Revelation chapter, this is the church of Ephesus he's writing, a literal church. He walks among them and he says, listen, you, you've got a lot of good programs. You've got a, I know your labors. I know your patience. I know the struggles you've gone through. He says, listen, I've, I've seen it all. I know all that you're doing. He says, but you've forgotten me. 
You've forgotten your first love. My wife and I can get so busy in the home, going here, going there, doing all of this stuff, that we forget just to spend time with one another. We can leave that closeness of relationship, and, and God is saying to the church of Ephesus, you're doing a lot of stuff, and I see your patience, and I, I know that your love for God, but you've left the position you should be in, Jesus first. In verse 12 through 16, the angel of the church in Pergamos ride, these things saith he, which hath a sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works and, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. He says, listen, where you're located, your city where you're at, there's Satan's seat there. There's a lot of wickedness in your city. And thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith. And even, even in those days where in Antipas was my faithful martyr. So here's a believer that went to death for Christ who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. Verse 15, so hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. We, there is a position of faith that we stand upon. Not that we're any better. It's not a position of one being better than another, but it's a position of this is, the, this is what I'm supposed to be built upon spiritually. This is how I'm to grow. This is the path I am to follow. If you don't know, if you're on a path out in the bush, if someone drops you in the bush and you have no compass, you have no GPS unit, you're all by yourself and they say, get home, I would be in big trouble. Now, some of you could maybe look at the stars and I would be, I'd be dead. I mean, if the animals didn't get me, the elements would get me, I mean, I would be dead. I would have no way to get home. Where am I going? I need a direction. And that is what doctrine does. Doctrine says this is the direction we're going. This is how we are to live it as we move forward. It is so important. In Revelation 2.18, it talks about a woman, Jezebel, who seduced the, who seduced the people to commit fornication and adultery. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, the church of Laodicea, there was a great air. Uh, there, was a very, there was a great apathy to the things of God. They were lukewarm. They had stopped progressing on that path. What are these good works? What is it I'm supposed to do? If we don't understand and obey the Lord Jesus, then blessings are lost. If I'm not doing what God wants me to do and I'm just kind of going through the motions of what I've always done, well, why do you do what you do? Can you biblically tell me why are we doing what we do? What is the purpose of a church? What does God expect of me in a church? Well, we can leave our first love. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is the greatest institution the world has ever known. There's an institution, when I say the institution, you have the institution of marriage or the family. The institution, there's many marriages. But God would institute the family, the marriage. God would institute the, the government for the, the protection of, of, of law-abiding citizens from those who are evil, theoretically. An institution. And it is extended, when you talk about the government, 
Well, there's a city government, there's a provincial government, there's a federal government, but there are, those are entities, local entities. God works through local churches. And as I read here in Matthew 16, 18, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus said, in the institution of the local church, it will be in every generation. There will be Bible believers in a local church in every generation. Satan will never stamp out local churches. Look with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. How do you reach a community? It's not some universal, uh, vague entity. It's local churches, believers coming together, and they reach their community for Jesus Christ. The people are discipled. People are baptized. People go out, and they start churches elsewhere. It is a local entity that reaches people. It is your family that goes into the community. It is your family. I mean, you don't want some mysterious wife or spouse. I want a spouse that's going to live in the same home with me. Ephesians 5.23, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he's the Savior of the body. And Understand, the head of this church is Jesus Christ. The, the, all that goes on here, when we have, and God's convicted me on this, but in business meetings and other things, hey, God, what do you want us to do? Because it's Jesus, he's the head, not me. It's Jesus that's the head. Colossians 1.18, look with me here, going a couple chapters closer to, to Revelation. So uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, chapter 1, verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Jesus is the head. He promised there in Matthew 16, 18 that he would be with it throughout all ages, this very institution, the institution of like the family, the institution of the marriage. When I talk about marriage, I'm not talking about one universal, one universal marriage. I'm talking about individual families that comprise my wife and I and other marriages and some of you and, and understand that you have your own home, your own location. The ordinances that would be given. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, talking about giving out the Lord's Supper, the body and the bread, the unleavened bread that we would have when we have the Lord's Supper, and, and the, the blood, or represented as we give out in grape juice, and representing the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He would say in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five, This cup is the New Testament of my blood. This do ye, as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. There's a remembrance of what Jesus has done when there's communion. There's also, husbands, love your wife, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. There's an understanding that the very institution that we have in meeting like we do today, Christ died for that. He loves the church. He loves churches. He wants churches to honor and glorify Him. Ephesians 3.21, Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. He says every church, New Testament church, ought to have Jesus to be glorified. It's not about a man. It's not about a woman. It's all about Jesus. Look with me here again in Ephesians chapter 5.
follow along. With. I, I hope you're following me where I'm going. If not, I, I'm going to try to kind of break this apart even more. But Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. He might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy without blemish. Someday in eternity, all, we will all be together in a local uh, place up in heaven with God. We'll be a unit, we will be all together. That's going to be a glorious place. But he says, sanctify and cleanse it with the washing. It's the word of God that cleanses us. It's the preaching of God's word. It's the, the meditation of you daily in God's word that, that sets us apart unto God. It cleanses us. Not from, not, uh, it cleanses us not that uh, just reading the Bible makes you a believer. It's our faith in Jesus Christ that makes us a believer. But listen, we all have baggage in our lives. There's sins and things we've done, and God wants to continually make us conform to the image of Jesus Christ. When I'm a part of a local church, I want to represent Jesus Christ in my community as a light that, hey, there's someone that's a little different. I'm not talking weird different, but they're different because they're like the Word of God. You, you know that they love Jesus. The local churches have the greatest task ever commissioned and assigned to them to give out the gospel of Jesus Christ that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That that gospel is to go to every nation, every tongue, every language that you can think of. No other commission has ever been given that or will ever be given such as the gospel that Jesus gave. Carrying out this work, the churches have done more for the world than all the governments ever organized, all the other institutions ever established, or all the armies ever assembled. World history has been changed by the work of Christ through his churches. Understand that in the very idea of giving value to people, every person is precious. Man, woman, boy, and girl is precious. Life is valuable, created in the image of God. There is against the horrendous things of this world that they've done in the past, many, many egregious errors. Before we think, what is the church? What is it that a person joins when they join a local church in membership? When the word church is used of an as an institution, it does not mean a big universal uh, entity that is vague. You would speak of the home or marriage or the school. We don't mean one big universal home or school. The New Testament never speaks of a group of churches as a church, nor are the words universal or invisible ever used. It has no real existence until it will be assembled in glory. All believers will one day be with Jesus, and that will be a glorious heavenly church. We'll all be together. Singing as all the angels will be singing together. We'll all be together. Realize that that word church, ecclesia, means an assembly, a local visible body. Jesus would use that word church 22 times, three times in Matthew and 19 times in Revelation. In 21 of those 22 times, he spoke of a local church. The other use, as you find in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. He was talking of the institution of churches. Think, we're, we're thinking about a local visible body. When people think of a church, where are, they, where are the believers meeting? Because a church is not just a loose affiliation of people who hold roughly the same religious beliefs. 
It's not a religious club. It's not just a building. It's not a nonprofit organization with a clear vision statement and definite objectives. God uses local churches to carry out the Great Commission. That every one of us have been given a responsibility of evangelism. Look with me at Matthew 28. If you start with the premise that Jesus is the cornerstone, Jesus is the head, we'll start there. In verse 18 of Matthew 28, Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things. So I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. Turn with me also to 1 Timothy 3.15. So Jesus says, baptizing, teaching, observing. Well, how do you do it in a mystical way? It, it, it involves a practical, down-to-earth, Everyday teaching. Like we have Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night service, Thursday night, Bible study, teaching. 1 Timothy 3.15 But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. Behave thyself. He's saying, hey, you need to know how you ought to act in God's house. When believers are together, that's God's house. It could be in a cave if you're hiding out for your life. It, it could be in a building like this, a nice, warm, comfortable place, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. You realize this, it was local churches through the centuries whom God used to preserve for us the word of God that we now have today. So God gave to the churches, number one, in Matthew 28, we spoke about this, evangelism. Teach, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them. And then he says, teaching them, observe all things, whatsoever I've commanded you. There's the idea, Matthew, Mark 16, 15, going into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Well, where do you center out of? If you're, just, if you're a lone ranger all by yourself, it's going to get wearisome. It's going to get lonely when you try to do it all by yourself. It's also, as he said, in number two, so it's evangelism a church is for. Number two, godly instruction. Matthew 28, 20, teaching them to observe all things. Whatsoever I've commanded you. It's the word of God. He would use local churches, the preaching of God's word, and the teaching as, uh, you know, also Sunday school teacher, teaching the children and trying to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, just as the par- they're trying to support the parents and reinforce what the parents are doing, that they would know how to live and serve Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and prayers. There was a continuance in the teaching of God's word. There's pastors. Look with me. Uh, Ephesians uh, chapter uh, 4, verse 11. Pastors are appointed to a church. There's some structure. It's not just some loose entity with some people uh, in a, you know, in a kind of a non, 
<laughs> like no structure to it, no uh, uh, firm direction you're going. And, and it's not that a, the pastor has any more spiritual high, you know, he's not any closer to God than anyone else's. Every one of us have a responsibility. Just as in a home, we all have a responsibility. We, you talk about my wife and I, we talk about certain things that we do and she doesn't do and I do and vice versa. And it, we all work to make the home work together. It's collaboratively working together. She's not better than me and I'm not better than her. It's just we're working together with our traits and our strengths and weaknesses and we make the home happen. Pay your bills and get your groceries and get the food and, it is that within the local church. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, he gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. Everyone, if, you're, if you are saved and born again, God calls us a saint. For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So we all come in the unity of the faith. One day we'll all come together of the knowledge of the Son of God into a perfect man into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. And he's saying here, listen, you need some structure. You need some direction and leadership for the perfecting, the maturing. We're all growing. 1 Timothy 4, 6, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. The book of 1 Timothy is a pastoral epistle written to Timothy, a young pastor, to say, hey, here's how you ought to orchestrate it. Put them in remembrance. 1 Timothy 5, 17, Let the elders that rule be counted uh, well, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. Hey, there ought to be leadership. He's saying, pastors, hey, you need to keep pointing your people back to the, the Bible. Continue to give instruction. Jesus, as he would tell his apostles, teaching and admonishing them to you know, do all that I've given you to do. And you do that. How do we reach the community? You have a local church, and there's structure, and we work together, and you have strengths, and I have strengths, and we all work together to get the gospel out, and, and joining, and, and speaking. As Titus 2.1 talks about sound doctrine. Hebrews 13, 7, remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God. 1 Peter 5, 2, feed the flock of God. He calls it a flock. It's a location to feed the church of God, Acts 20, 28. Turn with me here to Acts 20, 28. I don't want to just give you these verses and think, take my word for it, but look at the Bible here in Acts 20, 28. He said there ought to be a nucleus of people that are coming together, that are unified. There's a membership, and, there, and, and I will get into this, I promise you. But the foundation is we've got to know the direction. There is a leadership to follow. We follow Jesus Christ, and, and God has appointed pastors to lead and to guide. Not that he can't go astray, and if he goes astray, we say we're not going that direction because the Bible says don't go that direction. So we ask God, and so the, the desire is I want to follow Christ. The Apostle Paul, you know, follow me as I follow Christ. He's still the head. He is the final authority. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. That word there is episkopos in Greek, and the idea of a bishop 
to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. So the idea here is of a shepherd, a bishop, and uh, so elder, bishop, and pastor all refer to the same office. Just like, you know, sometimes there's an overseer, you're an administrator, a supervisor, there's overseeing, you know, the day-to-day tasks, making sure the lights work, the the utility bills, and all those things are paid, uh, that upkeep needs to happen. That that happens. Like, you, you could very well be, you're a citizen, you know, I'm, I'm a citizen, I'm a father, I'm a, uh, I'm a husband, uh, I'm a pastor, um, I don't know what else there is, you know, but there's other titles that you all carry. So there's an elder, there's a bishop and a pastor, and a pastor is feeding and caring, and, and as an elder, there's a overseeing, and, and as a bishop, again, oversight and spiritual maturity there and, and moving forward. But he says, feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. So he's saying, pastors, Preach God's word. I'm not going to give you my, I don't want to give you my opinions. I want to give you what God says. You see, serving as the headquarters for missions. Look with me at Acts 13. How does missions begin? How do we get the gospel out to all over the, all the realms of this world? It's out of local churches that send people out. And that's the example that we have from the New Testament. The New Testament is the model that we have for the very idea of establishing and functioning. If you go back, and I was just thinking about this this week, in the Old Testament, God gave requirements for someone to be a priest, to be a prophet. There were requirements. There's requirements in the past for people to be an apostle. And it tells us that in Acts chapter 1, what those requirements were. They had to be present at the baptism of John. They had to have seen the resurrected Christ. They had to, those were the prerequisite. God just doesn't, well, one day, oh, I woke up and I'm an apostle because I say I am. Well, I can say I'm a worker at Walmart, but it doesn't mean I'm a worker at Walmart just because I say I am. There's certain requirements. God God is very orderly. It's not just this, you know, because if, if, if if it's so generic without any requirements that God gives from his word. 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, give you the very requirements for someone to become a pastor. But in Acts chapter 13, now there were in the city that was called, there was at, that was at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger and Lucis of Cyrene, and Manane, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work wherein to have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. The church at Antioch would send Paul and Barnabas out into the missions ministry. They, laid, they fasted, they prayed, they laid their hands on them, and they sent them out. They said, go out and start churches and do the missions. It's the local church that ordained to send out You know what, something else, mission starts from churches. It doesn't matter if it's a large or small. You want something else that's blessing about the local church in Acts chapter 2? Would you look with me here, verse 41. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41. <clears throat> Uh, 
Verse 41 of Acts chapter 2, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added to them about 3,000 souls. Talking about here on the day of Pentecost. They, so they, they received the word, they were baptized, and then added to the church. Uh, and it in them, which would be the church in Jerusalem, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and prayers, and fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, but the fact here is there's a godly fellowship. They're, they're breaking of bread, there's prayers, there's a time coming together. There's a, there's a core of who they are, what they're doing. As I've mentioned also, I mean, and, and that ought to be when someone's coming to church and, and, and the joining and the membership of the church, there ought to be this idea of fellowship, a unity. We ought to be together. You know, if there's strife in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul's like, there's a whole bunch of fighting, and they're like, well, I was this and this. I mean, there's so much strife going on in that church. The first, Paul's just like, you know, he calls out where the strife's happening and said, this ought not to be. There's a unity, there's a coming together. You know something else that's wonderful about the church? As we went in 1 Timothy 3.15, how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. How did we get the Bible that was written for the Old Testament? The Old Testament was written, we have all that, up to the time of Jesus Christ, but you get from the time of the New Testament, Jesus and the apostles, to the present. How did we get the Word of God that we have today? It was believers through the centuries, churches, that said, listen, this is God's word. The 66 books of the Bible is God's word. Don't alter it. Don't change it. That's what he said in the beginning. And we're going to continue to repeat and to copy and to copy and to copy. But God preserves his word and he uses local churches that say, we want every generation to have the Bible. What a blessing that is. Can you imagine if one generation says, well, we don't want them to have the Bible, we're just going to get rid of it. How lost would you and I be today if we didn't have a Bible? See, knowing the direction, a church, it's for missions, it's for evangelism, it's for the, uh, fellowship, it's also for the protector of biblical truths, much like the, the scriptures, it's a place to exercise spiritual gifts. Ministering, teaching, exhorting, ruling, mercy. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 also talks about it. Look at me in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians 12, 14. You can read... First Corinthians 12 talks about all of this, but for the sake of time, verse 14, 22, and 27, for the body is not one member, but many. And then it talks about the ear, the eye, the, you know, if the foot says, you know, uh, 15, if the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, is therefore it not of the body. What one part of your body do you want to have cut off? None of it. Do you want your ear cut off? No, I need that. You know, I mean, the only thing I want maybe cut off in my body is maybe my, shorten my hair, okay? That's about the only part you can cut off. I don't want anything else cut. It's important. In verse 22, nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. You know what? It doesn't matter if you're old or young, if you're strong or weak. It said they're all necessary, 
There's some parts of my body that are stronger than others. But I definitely don't want those weak parts cut off. They're all important. And then he says in verse, 20, uh, in, uh, verse 26, And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. How can I, if you want to think about, if, if, if this is in, the, in this universal type entity or in universal type idea that's many times propagated, how do I suffer and hurt with someone on the other side of the world whom I've never had? No, they're, fam- no, they're all part of the family of God. There's a universal family of God. When you're saved, you become a part of the universal family of God. We understand that. But how do I as a member, and it says verse 27, now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular, that local church and other, every church, as we join, as a person joins a church, the important thing is, listen, I have a job to do and you have a job to do. It doesn't matter if you're, some person might say, well, I can't do this because that's not my ability. Well, you might be weak in that area, but you have strengths that God's given you gifts to do to be carried out through the local church. You know, in 1 Peter 4, use hospitality one to another without grudging as every man hath received the gift. You know what? Some people are more hospitable than others, but using the hospitality, you know what? Hospitality is really good. I remember when I first, I I had uh, left Seattle. I'm originally from the States. I had left Seattle and I went to New York and I went into the military and I started attending this church and on Sunday night, I I went to the morning service and I came back in the evening service and there was a gentleman there. He was retired military and he said, Chris, do you want to go out to eat? I said, Absolutely. I got some food on the first Sunday I went there. You know, it's something to a young single man. Food was pretty good. I like food. And it actually helped me to stay at that church. And I ended up working, I joined the church, I got involved in the sound ministry and outreach, and I did a lot of stuff. But I mean, it just, that hospitality in a small way had an effect on drawing me in to be useful there at the church. And God did a God worked in me, and I was called in the ministry while, you know, through that church. It's important. When you come in, a good smile on the face is pretty good. You know, if you come in, and, and I hope I'm not this way. If, if you've encountered that, please let me know. But someone comes into the church for the first time and, you know. Oh, man, I'm not going back. You know, if you get a whole grumpy, scowling look, I don't want a part of that. None of us. If I go into a restaurant and the waitress or waiter gives me a scowling look and is really rude, I'm probably not going back. We, ought, we as believers ought to be exhibiting the very love and the hope. We've left, if we leave our first love, we don't know the direction we're going. I don't have that affection, that closeness. As I started this off with the Lord Jesus Christ, blessings are lost if we don't know the direction we're going. Well, if blessings are lost, then how can I have the joy and the peace of God of my life? I'm attached to the local church under the headship of Jesus Christ, serving God day in and day out. Uh, You know, not necessarily here, but in your workplace and at home and in the community. And I have a place that I belong. And I get to serve. I get to serve the King of Kings through the very uh, uh, institution He created in a local assembly to help and administer, you know, minister to others. And with the joy, there ought to be joy in my heart. Blessings are lost if we lose our focus. Why do we do what we do? Jesus says, I want you to give out the Great Commission. I want you to protect the truths of the Bible. I want you to 
It's a place to call into missions. You know what? There'd be no, I mean, I'm hoping someday down the road as God continues to work and in the community that maybe God would raise up men and women and they'd go out into communities, churches started. There's communities all around us without good churches and without people to, to minister to people on a daily basis. Where do you go when you have a hard day? Hey, pastor, can you pray for me? What if you didn't have that? God's desire is for all over this world, for missions, to get the gospel. Yes, that's the start, but a place to attach yourself and serve Jesus. It's also a place to exhort towards godliness and good works. In Hebrews 3.13, but exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 10.24, look with me at Hebrews chapter 10. Hastening on here. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching, to provoke and to love and to good works. You know what? When you come to church, you might be having a really hard time. Maybe you're going through a great deep trial of life. You have to be able to come there with other believers to provoke and to love, to encourage us to get back in the fight. You know what? If it wasn't for a local church back when I was in the military, I had a gentleman there. His, his name is Pat Zandy. He's now with the Lord. He died of cancer number six, seven years ago. But he, uh, man, there was a time I was in, I was going through some rough spot. He kept telling me, hey, Chris, where were you? We missed at church. Hey, you want to come over to my house? We'll have some food. We'll eat. We'll talk. You don't know how much. As I look back, just those sometimes simple acts to encourage me to get back up and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Simple acts. He says, hey, Chris is slipping. He needs to be with the fellowship of believers. I want to encourage him to get back up. We all mess up. Get up and move forward. Galatians 6.1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering the selfless of all. He, Pat never kicked me in the pants and said, ah, Chris is messing up. Kick him out to the curb. He's worthless. He's no good. He's not like us. No, he said, come on, Chris, come on. This is what the Bible says. Let's get up. I'll walk with you. A church where you come together and encourage one another. When you're joining it, you're saying, I'm, I want this church to serve Jesus, and I'm going to be a part of it. I'm going to be a part. I'm going to move forward. A church is a place to receive comfort and edifying the members should have the same care one for another. It's a place of accountability to one another. As it talks about, if a brother trespasses against you, you go to him and you talk with him. Matthew 18 discusses this very thing. It's a place of protection provided by pastors. Obey them, they have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls. Listen, someday I've got to stand before God and, and I've got to give an account to him of how'd you treat my church. God never calls it my church. It's not my church, it's his church. 
Feed the flock of God which is among you. As he said in Acts 20.20, he tells the pastors, feed God's flock. It's never Chris's flock. It's God's flock. Every church is never, never that pastor's flock. It's God's flock. It's a protection from false teacher, protection from attacks of Satan. A place of, I'll move forward. I will end there for the sake of time this morning. i got a lot more to go on, but my friend, as you think about what is the direction you're going, why are we doing this? What is the church? Jesus started, the word church means a local assembly, ecclesia, a local assembly, an assembly. And just because it has the name church doesn't necessarily mean it's the church, a biblical church. You've got to look to the Bible. What did Jesus start? What is it they, they ought to believe? Well, the Bible tells us what to believe. As you think upon all of these truths this morning, we've got to ask ourselves, why do we do what we do, and what is the direction we're going? If you lose your focus, you lose your direction, we lose the blessings of God. If we're steadfast, diligent about what God's called us to do. Man, I want God's presence. I want the peace of God and the comfort and the joy. I want to just be aimlessly going about. And I trust as you think upon these truths this morning, I hope I didn't confuse you. If I did, please ask. But the most, see, no person can become a part of a church unless they first accepted Jesus Christ. We see a kind of a couple sticks put together in the shape of a cross as a it's a symbol of what Jesus did on that cross for all of my sins. You see, before God's judgment hall, I'm guilty, and so are you. We're all sentenced to death. We all deserve it. But Jesus went to that cross and died as innocent in my guilty place, just as a judge, someone would stand up in a courtroom and say, Chris, you're guilty. I said, I know. Someone stands up who's innocent in the courtroom and says, I'll take all the punishment that Chris has ever done. Jesus did that for me, and he does that for you this morning. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It is a blessing. And if you've never done that, you've never asked Jesus to forgive your sins, it's not about being good works, not of works lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith. It's all Jesus. And after you're saved, you're baptized, and then you join a church and get busy serving God. Attach yourself to a congregation of people. Under the, you look at their doctrine. You look at who they are. I want to serve Jesus there. Man, God wants, that's what God's desire is. And God may move you on someday, and you attach yourself in a new location to a church, and you continue to serve God. God uses local churches all over this world to reach people with the gospel, to encourage and disciple them so they grow, so they can teach others. And that process just continues to reproduce. Churches reproduce churches. Christian, what direction are you going? If I could have Mrs. Pat come forward for invitation period. I want to encourage you this day. Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against. So he started the institution of the local churches. We attach ourselves, we honor, we serve God. If you're a Christian and you've never been baptized, and you're thinking, God's been working on my heart, I need to be baptized, I'd love to speak with you. And then get busy, join the church, start serving Him, being faithful. Make, you see, the church is no stronger than its members. 
May we honor God. Man, I want to see souls saved. When I stand before Jesus someday, and you stand, you said, I've done all I could. I've done it the way you wanted. I didn't lose focus, Jesus. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, as we come to the time of invitation, what is the church? What is your responsibility to the church? What is your obligation, commitment? I trust that you would just take it to heart. Jesus started it. Jesus is the head. And every congregation that continues to look to Jesus as their head to follow him in obedience, attaching themselves and doing all they can for Christ. It's not a lackadaisical, live-back thing. So as the music plays this morning, I trust that you would just pray and speak with God as He's spoken to your spirit this morning. If you've never been saved, you can say, Pastor, I don't know if I'm saved. I think so. I hope so. I wish. Could you give me a Bible reason why you know you're saved? I trust that you'd call out to Jesus, ask Him to forgive you of all your sins and be your Savior if you've never done that. Christian, if you're not attached, what's the direction you're going? What is your focus? May Christ be elevated. May you be obedient with every step moving forward. And the obedience that God wants you to do. If you have questions about membership, love to speak with you. Our world needs to see people that are committed, sold out for Jesus Christ. As the music comes to a close here shortly, we'll pray. Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. Father, I thank you for each and every person you brought out this morning. Father, there's a reason each person's here. Father, I thank you for your grace. Lord, I'm thankful for the local church. Lord, if it had been people and churches through the years where I've attended and committed, Lord, men that just gave themselves and be faithful to Christ through the local church, Lord, where would I be? Pastors that have encouraged and challenged me. Father, you work through churches. Father, I pray as Christians we'd have an appreciation and love for what you started, that we'd continue to perpetuate it. And Lord, there are need for churches and communities all around us. People sometimes with no church, no fellowship. Livestream will not do what meeting in person can do. Assembly, a local assembly. Father, should there be anyone this morning that's not saved, that they call out to Jesus to ask Him to forgive them of all their sins and be gloriously saved. Thank you, Lord, for being the head in control and knowing what we need to prosper spiritually. I pray that you be honored and glorified. I pray that the message was clear. Lord, forgive me if it wasn't. And Lord, as we look forward more at this truth, I pray, God, that it cement in our heart a love and appreciation for the local church. I love you, Jesus. 
In your precious and holy name I pray. Amen. <laughs>